Uh, well, we do continue this morning our four-part uh, series on building a winning marriage team. And uh, today we come to the third lesson on uh, developing a winning attitude. Appreciate uh, Jonathan in my absence last week continuing the theme of marriage following the marriage seminar that we had the first weekend in November. And uh, before I move into this uh, third lesson, let me just uh, provide a very brief review of the uh, first two lessons. The first lesson was entitled, The Winning Game Plan. And in that message, we looked at five intangible qualities that are the key uh, to developing a winning marriage. Uh, the first quality was commitment, uh, realizing that you're stuck with one another whether you like it or not. Uh, burning all the bridges out, uh, turning away from even ever viewing divorce as an option, and then realizing that you must be willing in marriage to be unhappy for a season until uh, you can work things out. Uh, the second was character, uh, that the greater purpose in marriage is to become like Jesus Christ. Developing Christ-like character is what defines true success in marriage. Therefore, it's the tough times in marriage when things are not going right. You're at each other's throats. It actually provides you the greater opportunity to plunge into the depths of Christ's character and to learn uh, to love as uh, Christ loved unconditionally, to learn how to forgive. Uh, the third was concentration, that husbands must concentrate on what is most important to their wives, and that is giving them affection. For a woman to feel uh, desired, wanted, special, cherished, a treasure to her husband, and then for the wife to give her husband the one thing he wants more than anything else, and that's admiration, uh, respect, uh, that she truly esteems him for the man that God uh, made him to be. The fourth was cooperation. Uh, the fact in marriage is we're going to be continually confronted with problems, and you got a choice. You can either attack one another, or you can come together and attack your problems and find God's solution. And then the fifth we talked about was conditioning, that winning marriages are not the result of chance. They just don't happen. Uh, love is not just some sort of spontaneous thing where you, there, there's no effort and it, it just happens. Uh, no, it, it's, it involves hard, hard work. So commitment, character, concentration, cooperation, conditioning was what we looked at in that first message. In the second message, which we didn't have very long to develop because of the Lord's Supper, but we're able to at least establish the truth and the principle, that message was entitled, Practice Makes Perfect. And here was the key truth in that marriage, is that I learned to love my marriage partner by the practice of love. Love is a choice. It's a choice to invest in my marriage, a choice that will often run contrary to my feelings, but a choice that has the power to change my feelings. By doing loving actions towards my marriage partner, I can develop loving feelings for my marriage partner. Now, before we move into lesson three, let me emphasize again a truth that I emphasized at the very beginning of, uh, of this series. If you're married and you practice perfectly and apply perfectly everything we're talking about in these, in these messages, I cannot guarantee that you're going to have a successful marriage. I'll just put that out there. Why? 
Because marriage involves what? Two people. And it takes both cooperating with God, submitting themselves to God, surrendering to God to truly experience what God intended for a couple to experience in marriage in terms of uh, developing Christ-like character, drawing closer to God as they do, growing closer to one another, realizing how God has brought them together, as Jonathan talked about last week, to have an impact, uh, to do a, to a work uh, for God, to, uh, to serve God. Uh, I can't guarantee you that, but this is what I can guarantee you. Regardless of how your mate responds, if you will give yourself to apply these truths, God will be faithful to you. He will be faithful to you, even if you have to live the rest of your life enduring a very difficult marriage, even if your marriage partner abandons you, abandons you for another, God will be faithful to you. And God will even use that difficulty and the heartache to even plunge you deeper into intimacy with Christ and deeper into Christ-like character, which again ultimately defines Success. Again, what defines success from God's perspective is not outcome, it's not results, but it's transformation in the human heart internally becoming more and more like Jesus. Lesson three, developing a winning attitude. You know, if you've ever played sports, uh, you know as important as athletic ability is mental attitude. Uh, I think of my very good and close friend, Jay Davis. I think all of y'all know Jay, longtime member here at the church. Uh, Jay was a tennis star. He was a tennis star at both Columbus State University and the University of Georgia. Uh, Jay was recently inducted to the Sports Hall of Fame uh, uh, for uh, his achievements in tennis. I still believe, as old as he is, and he's old as the hills now, uh, Jay's not here, so I can get away with that, right, right, Lee? Uh, I think he still holds the record for Matt's wins at the University of Georgia. If he still doesn't hold the record, he held that thing for decades and decades, and uh, just an amazing ac- accomplishment. But Jay... Uh, he would share with you that his greatest asset was not his athletic ability. Now, he did have athletic ability, and, uh, but that was not his greatest asset. He will tell you, and we've had this discussion many times as friends, that his greatest asset was his tenacious winning attitude. Uh, Jay would never give up, never He would fight for every single stinking point, no matter what the circumstances were in the match, no matter how far down he might be. And as a result, Jay eventually just simply wore down and beat many opponents that had superior ability than he had. Most of you know the name uh, Arnold Palmer, uh, one of the great uh, golfers of all time. And in his office, there is a plaque Uh, that tells you the secret to his success. And notice, the focus is not ability, but attitude. If you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you'd like to win, but think you can't, it's almost certain you won't. Life's battles don't always go to the stronger or faster man, but sooner or later, the man who wins is the man who thinks he can. And then listen to this quote by Chuck Swindoll. And again, it's important to apply this 
to the realm of marriage. The longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think, say, or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past, nor can we change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We also cannot change the inevitable. The only thing that we can do is play with the one string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. And then just one more great quote from an unknown poet. We cannot choose how many years we will live but we can choose how much life those years will have. We cannot control the beauty of our face, but we can control the expression on it. We cannot control life's difficult moments, but we can choose to make life less difficult. We cannot control the negative atmosphere of the world, but we can control the atmosphere of our minds. Too often, we try to choose and control things we cannot. Too seldom, we choose to control what we can our attitude. Now, when it comes to developing a winning marriage, I think we would all agree one of the most significant keys is attitude. A winning marriage is not the result of a set of circumstances, but a certain set of attitudes. Now, in your notes, and I hope you picked up a copy of the notes, uh, you'll notice I've taken the word attitude and built an acrostic to emphasize the attitudes we must choose in marriage. Again, trying to make this series uh, very practical, trying to get it to where the rubber meets the road. And uh, so let's look at that letter A. The letter A represents accept responsibility for your attitudes and actions. Accept responsibility for your attitudes and actions. And by the way, as we walk through this, we are applying it to marriage, but I know there are those of you that are here that are not married, but this applies in virtually every realm of life because attitude is the key in every realm of life. Galatians 6, 5, for we are are each responsible for our own conduct. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Now, for you married couples, here is a reality check. You cannot directly change your mate, no matter how much you want them to change. The only opportunity you have to change your mate is by changing your response to your mate. Because when you do that, it suddenly changes the equation in marriage. You see, when you're different then your mate has to relate to you in a new way. Therefore, don't focus on changing your mate, but what? Changing you. And changing you by accepting responsibility for your attitudes in the marriage, for your 
actions. Again, you can't control your mate, but you are responsible before God for your actions and your attitudes. Now, what does that practically mean? Well, first of all, and we talked a little bit about this in the first message, stop having a pity party. Stop, stop complaining. Uh, stop daydreaming about what might have been or what it might be like with someone else. And above all, stop blaming your mate for your unhappiness. All of that only makes things worse. I said a few weeks ago that uh, the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. Reality is the grass is greener where? Wherever you water it and fertilize it. Uh, And so if you took as much time to water and fertilize your marriage as you do wishing and wanting and complaining, it's very possible that the grass would start getting greener. And whatever you do, whatever you do, please, please do not buy the lie that you and your mate are just incompatible with one another. Incompatibility is a myth invented to justify divorce. The problem is not incompatibility. The problem is in immaturity. Immaturity. I want what I want. You want what you want. I'm stubborn. You're stubborn. I don't want to change. You don't want to change. So let's quit calling it incompatibility and start calling it for what it is, immaturity, stubbornness, and selfishness. You can't change your mate, but you can change you by accepting responsibility for your attitudes and actions. So the letter T, the letter T, trust God can change your marriage. Trust God. Believe God. Trust Him. But he can change your marriage. Humanly speaking, Matthew 19, 26 says, it's impossible. But with God, what? Everything is possible. Now, in my last message, we looked at love in action. We talked about uh, practice makes perfect. And we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians 13 uh, to emphasize that you learn love by the uh, practice of love. And, and, and that does raise the question. Where do you find the emotional stamina and the spiritual energy to keep practicing love toward your mate, and especially when you're seeing little, if any, positive change at all with them or in your marriage? And the secret, again, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 7 and 8. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And this is so powerful when you see this applied to marriage. What gives love the ability to bear all things? To bear with this very difficult mate that I have right now that's not being responsive that's not being easy to love, that's really doing everything to irritate me, to provoke me, and has become distant from me, or whatever the case might be. What gives love the ability to bear up under the most difficult of circumstances with the most difficult of individuals? The key is the next phrase, love believes all things. Now, this just isn't just some sort of blind, you know, pie in the sky, blind belief. It's 
It's a belief that's rooted in the confidence of God. In other words, as I'm walking through this difficult marriage, I don't put my confidence in my ability to practice love and win my mate. I don't place my confidence in my mate's willingness. Because if I place my confidence in me, or if I look at my mate, I'm going to come up what? Empty. Because I'm so aware of my deficiencies and my, my failures. And I look at my mate, and at this particular time, they mean very, very hard. Hard as a brick. You know, they're, they're just, just totally unwilling uh, to give uh, an inch. So, I'm not to look at myself and, and place my hope there or in my partner. I'm to place my confidence in God, in His grace, realizing there's never a heart so dark that He cannot penetrate. I mean, he, you know, remember Paul, he, he gave him that wonderful experience on the road to Damascus where, boom, in a moment, brought this man to the brokenness and the repentance and obedience of faith. And so that's why you come to that next phrase, love hopes all things. As long as I place my confidence in God's grace, that gives me hope. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, I'm never without hope because everything's possible with God and that's where I'm placing my confidence. That's where I'm placing my faith. And that's why you come to the next phrase, love endures all things. As I place my confidence not in me, not in my mate, but in God, that gives hope. And as I have hope, I can live one more day with this person or maybe one more minute with this person or one more hour and, 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 and realize, you know, God, God, God's using this in my life. And that's why love never fails. It doesn't mean, let's be very careful, it doesn't mean that love always succeeds in winning the individual. I told you a moment ago, I can't give you a guarantee if you do all of this. That it's going to win your mate or it's going to transform your marriage and it's going to be this wonderful thing uh, that, that, that honors, honors God. I, I wish I could give you that kind of guarantee. But marriage involves, again, two people. And both have to make that decision to submit to God and to put their trust and their dependence upon God. And often one partner will refuse to do that while the other does choose to, to honor God. God. So it doesn't mean that love always succeeds in winning the other individual, but it means that no matter what you do to love, you can't stop it from loving you. And don't miss this now. My mate may fail me. My marriage may even fail. But if in the process, I learn deeper depths of Christ's love, that's success. Because from God's perspective, what defines success? Developing Christ-like character. And again, I've shared this many times. You may even be getting tired of it, but it had such an impact on me, my brother and my sister, my mom. My mom went, uh, excuse me, through hell. She did everything she could to reconcile her marriage. My father left her for her another woman. Abandoned her, divorced her, left her penniless in the most difficult of circumstances. We would look at my mother and we couldn't understand, why don't you get bitter, mad, and just kick him in the teeth? And my mother struggled, just like all of us struggle. She, she wasn't some sort of super saint. She struggled with 
depression and anxiety. But bottom line, she let all that take her to Jesus. And she developed an intimacy with Jesus that I've never known in my life. And she developed a sweet, sweet peace. And that's why I go back. I can't guarantee you a particular outcome, but I can guarantee you God to be faithful. If you remain faithful, and many people, again, look at my mother, say failure, and I think God looks at my mother, looked at my mother and said, that's it. Because don't ever miss this. The currency in heaven is character, Christ-like character. That's what determines eternal reward. Folks, it's life in all that there is, right? It's just boot camp for the next. So often we think this is it. And we have no eternal value, values and perspective. We need to realize this life is simply boot camp for the next. And what God is doing ultimately in this life is making me like Jesus. Teaching me to love as He loved. Look at the uh, second T in the word attitude. Uh, talk through unresolved issues. Talk through unresolved issues. A reliable messenger brings healing. Uh, Proverbs 13, uh, verse 17 there. Uh, my time is going rapidly, so let me do this very, very rapidly. Uh, uh, I mentioned to you that, uh, I think in the first message, that Kathy and I had a very rocky first couple years in marriage. And toward the end of the second year of our marriage, our marriage had really soured. Uh, where we really didn't like one another. And, uh, and, and in our situation, you know, you, you, you had uh, uh, several dynamics going on, but, but I mentioned our greatest problem was uh, anger management. For me, my natural tendency is to, is to blow up. I'm sort of the reactionary, you know, short fuse. Kathy is the clam-upper, where she just withdraws and sees on the inside. And so as, as, as challenges came in our marriage, problems came in my marriage, again, I would have a tendency to, to overreact, to blow up. This would devastate the tender, gentle, merciful heart of my wife. She would become wounded. We, she would withdraw in that hurt, begin to question whether I really loved her or not. And, and, and you, you know what I'm talking about. I don't have to go much for it. That thing just begins to snowball on you. And it, it just, you, all of a sudden, you lose control. And all of a sudden, you wake up, you don't like one another. Sexual intimacy is gone in marriage. Uh, you may be sleeping in the same bed, but you're thousands of miles apart. It's this cold war. And, uh, and again, Kathy and I were committed believers. So committed believers are not immune from this. But because we were committed believers and we had burn the bridge of divorce out. We knew we were stuck with one another whether we liked it or not. We, need to, we knew we got to, whatever it takes, we got to fix this thing. Because who wants to live in unhappiness the rest of their lives since we have no other option? And if you turn, let me tell you what transformed our marriage. And it gives me, it's a great, great opportunity to stress practice makes perfect. Practice, practice, practice. And, and mar a successful marriage doesn't happen just by circumstances or chance, but it's just plain hard work. Turn your notes over to where you see, see the peace table. You see that? This is what Kathy and I did 
literally transform our marriage. But listen to me now. This is so important for you to hear. I'm going to walk this through this with you very, very briefly. What we did, it took us doing this a solid two years, virtually every day during those two years. We would do it at night after we'd put the kids in bed before we began to even really see significant change. See, again, you remember what I shared with you last week, or last message, Practice Make Perfect? We talked about in a coach dealing with an athlete. A lot of a coach's work is just breaking kids of terrible habits and teaching them to do it right. And often that's what marriage is. We, we, we don't know how to handle anger. We don't know how to manage conflict. And, and, and we've, we've developed terrible habits and patterns from whether it's our family life or past situations, whatever it may be. We bring all that baggage into marriage. And a lot of it's just, just relearning how to do things and learning how to do it the, the right way. But this is what Kathy and I did virtually every night for two years. And after those two years, I can honestly say we were a changed couple. Not a perfect couple. Do we still have problems with anger? Do I still have problems with blowing up? Yes, I do. Does she have problems at times with clamming up? Yes, she does. Uh, do we still have those moments? Yes, we do. But the, mar- the marriage has changed, transformed. I mean, it's now become the exception rather than the rule. And when it does happen, praise God, we know what to do with it. Because we did learn a new pattern, a new way of living, a new habit. And here it is. It's not complicated. You can see it yourself. First, this is how we began. Uh, husband shares points of appreciation for wife. We, we knew we were going to deal with uh, problem areas, areas of conflict. So we, we thought, we better start this in a positive way or we may cut one another's throats before, you know, we even start. So uh, husband shares points of appreciation for wife. Wife follows doing the same for the husband. And then we would just hold hands and thank God for, for our relationship. And then we would ask God, please, God, strengthen it. An encouraging word cheers up, uh, cheers a person up. That's, I didn't give you the reference. That's Proverbs 12, 25. An encouraging word cheers a person up, Proverbs 12, 25. And then that would take us to the second thing. After expressing appreciation to one another, then I would start with Kathy. And Kathy would share areas of problem and conflict for her that had arisen that day. So this falls in line with Ephesians 4 where it says, what, don't let the sun go down on your what? Your wrath. In other words, get it out in the open. You may not resolve it before the sun goes down, but get it out. Begin dealing with it. Uh, so she would begin by sharing pro- uh, areas of problem and conflict, and then I would, I would do the same. Now, we had a ground rule. Uh, we, we couldn't argue with one another at this point. I couldn't challenge her on her perspective. She couldn't challenge me on mine. We, we just wanted to get the issues out in, in the open. And then we would ask and receive forgiveness uh, for one another and ask God for wisdom. And that was the key, wisdom to resolve the problems. James 1.19, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I love Colossians 3.13, you must make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must also forgive others, including your mate. And then James 1.5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it. So we, one, start out with appreciation. Two, what are the problems? And we actually list them. 
just a, just a word or a phrase that help us remember. And then that would take us to three. For each area of a conflict that was identified, we would ask three questions and then attempt together to answer these questions. We'd ask, number one, what is the real problem here? Because reality is we react to one another so often, and, and, and the issue is, some, you know, it may be financial stress. Or maybe, you know, the wife's stressed out with all these snotty-nosed kids that she's taking care of, you know, 24-7. It could be a million different things. And so, you know, you, you, you blow up or you clam up or whatever it might be, and it, it may not have anything. To, you know, for a long time, for example, I thought my wife was crazy, to be honest with you. Because, you know, she would be this clam-upper. Eventually, if you're a clam-upper, you can only hold it in so long and you what? Boom. You know, you blow up. Well, what would happen... You know, this stuff would be building up in Kathy, and then she'd suddenly blow up, and I'd say, her response to that, that's really, really uh, beyond the pale. And I didn't realize this had been building up. This, this goes back to, to, to issues, you know, two or three days ago, whatever it might be. And, my, and, and let me be honest to say, in our relationship, uh, I bear probably at least 98% of, uh, of, of the fault in, in our marriage, uh, and I mean that uh, sincerely. But uh, that was one issue that, that we have. So we'd ask, what is the real problem? What's going in it? You know, is it financial stress? Is it something with the kids? Is it, is it communications with what? And then, two, what would God have us do about it? What would God have us do about it? In other words, that we start looking to God. And then when and how should we get started? And that was one of the most important questions. Not only what is the real problem, not, not only what God would have us do about it, okay, but... How are we going to apply this? When are we going to start applying this? How? In other words, there was a game plan that was settled. Just like a coach sets a game plan, a strategy out there. And now we're accountable to one another because we do have a game plan. We either do it or we don't. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord. What? With all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will and all you do and He will show you which path to take. And then the fourth, the last thing, we would hold hands and ask God for strength uh, to attack our problems rather than one another. And then we would leave the peace table committed to following not our feelings, but what our plans, to follow our plans, not our feelings. And folks, great example to show you, marriage is hard work. We did this for two solid years virtually every night. And it took us that long for me and Kathy to learn how to handle, control our anger and use it in a pot. See, anger is a God-given emotion. God gave us the emotion of anger to provide the energy to attack problems and to resolve them in a God-given manner. But like all of God's gifts, we've abused them. And you know the two basic ways we abuse anger? Blowing up and clamming up. The blow-upper doesn't attack the problem. He attacks the person related to the problem. The clam-upper doesn't attack the problem. They re- retreat in, in sulking and in, in resentment. And so Kathy and I had to learn, that's wrong. There's no excuse for that. We need to use that anger as a motivation to come together to attack problems, not one another. The I, the I. Invest whatever it takes. Invest whatever it takes. Galatians 6, 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. 
at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. In other words, it gives me another opportunity. It costs something to have a good marriage. It will take humility, a willingness to admit you're wrong, and to change. It will take persistence, like I talked about my friend Jay Davis, that not give up attitude. And more than anything, it's going to take a lot of time. It will, it will mean patience. And remember the last message, practice makes perfect. There are no shortcuts to a winning marriage. You must have the attitude, I will invest whatever it takes and then do it. You know, something that meant a, a great deal to me, um, many of you are, are too young to remember this name, but the first Christian leader that really began to speak out on marriage and the family from a biblical perspective and really teach on it, write some books on it, was a man by the name of Howard Hendricks, one of the greatest teachers I've, I've ever known. Uh, did not, of course, know him personally, did not sit under his ministry, but video and his books. But uh, he was the first. And he sort of, he, he sort of set the path for, for everybody else that followed. Now you, you go to Lifeway or whatever bookstore and you see just everything under the sun on marriage and family. But back, back then, back in those days, it was, he was the first. And I'll never forget, near the end of his life, by chance, I was listening to the Christian radio, and there was an interview of Howard. He was up in his 80s. And he was asked this question. After all your years of experience dealing with marriage and family, especially from a Christian perspective, if you had only one bit of advice that you could give a young married couple, only, only one bit of advice you could give them, what would it be? And I was shocked at his answer. I did not anticipate this. And this is what he said. He said, every person goes into marriage with a picture they've made in their mind about how it's going to be. And he says, especially the, the women. You know, they just they, they have these very romantic notions, you know, and they develop this wonderful picture. But men do it as well. He said, he said this is my advice. Take that picture that you've developed in your mind about what marriage is, what it's going to be like, and he says, tear it up into pieces. Throw it away and deal with reality. Because he, he, what he was saying was, what happens? We go into these marriage with this picture, with these unrealistic expectations. Eventually, our expectations are not met. And then when I think my expectations are not met... Oh, now my rights have been violated. I'm not being loved as I ought to be loved. I'm not being appreciated as I ought to be appreciated. We fall into depression and anger, and we begin to attack one another, and we get into that crazy cycle where we're just at one. He just says, tear all that up and deal with the reality and learn to love one another for who you are and where you are. Now, the, the, the letter T, next letter T, turn on the romance. I love Proverbs 5, 19, may you always be captivated by her love. That's God's advice. Uh, always be captivated by, by your wife's love and vice versa. In other words, my point here is romance, physical affection, pleasure, sex, fun, playfulness, having time to enjoy one another. God intends marriage to be that way. God created sexual intimacy in marriage. It is good. He said it was good. 
Yes, the world has perverted it, distorted it, but we don't need to let the world distort what God has created. And he created sex, despite Kathy and I's example, not just to have children, but for mutual pleasure with one another. And to know intimacy, to nourish our love for, 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 for God and for, for one another. You know, UCLA, UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles, they did a study. This is true now. And they discovered if, if a wife hugs her husband at least three times a day, she can increase his lifespan up to three years. Now, some of you, 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 you wise, you're thinking right now, tough luck, honey. Been nice knowing you. <laughs> Been nice knowing you. Husbands, our wives would be much more affectionate if we would be much more affectionate toward them. Matter of fact, they would be much more responsive in the bedroom if we would express more kindness and affection outside the bedroom. Most sexual problems in marriage, there can be physical issues that need to be treated from a medical person, but most problems relate to what's happening outside the bedroom. And you just can't take that garbage into the bedroom with you and know the intimacy that God planned and desired as He intended it to be. If there were more courting in marriage, there would be few marriages in court. Uh, this, as I mentioned, the single best decision Kathy and I have ever made in marriage was to have a date night. And we do that every single week. Y'all know that. We've been doing it ever since, I uh, guess, what, Christy was two years old? That's when we started, I think. Uh, lo- move to the next point. Oh, by the way, you know what the greatest enemy to romance is? Busyness. And if you're too busy to set aside quality time to enjoy one another, you're just too busy. The letter U, understand your partner's needs. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me just briefly give you the rest of the outline. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5.21. Notice the verse says, this is interesting, and it's often neglected. Notice this verse that says that both husband and wife are to submit to one another. Now, don't misunderstand. There's a definite order in the home. And uh, I don't have time to get into that. Maybe Jonathan was able to last week. I mean, there is the headship of the husband and the wife submitting and showing reverence. But notice here that both the husband and wife are to submit to one another. The word submit comes from the Greek word hupotasso. The word was originally a military term, which meant to get under one's authority and and to follow that uh, authority. And, of course... We always have to say when you're talking about submitting to earthly authority, whether it be government, whether it be a husband, uh, you would never submit to the point of disobeying God or, or sin. There's a point where a Christian has to be willing to suffer for righteousness' sake rather than submit uh, to, to evil. And I'd always want to make that qualifying uh, uh, statement. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, the word also came to be used to describe the Christian's willingness to honor God by getting up underneath others to help carry their burdens and sacrificially meet their needs. Uh, In other words, one of the main ideas, and it needs to be emphasized more in biblical submission, is a voluntary relinquishing of one's rights on behalf of the welfare of another person. 
And that's why although a husband may be the head of the home, he's to love his wife as what? Christ loved the church. Which means he has to voluntarily relinquish his rights to live for the welfare of his wife, of his children, for their spiritual welfare, benefit, growth. And related to marriage, we can put this in very simple terms. It means putting your mate's well-being above your own. That's what it means. And remember, we're talking about an attitude. So it means thinking about your mate's needs and then devising ways to meet those needs. See, that gets it in very practical terms. The letter D, depend on help from others. Proverbs 19.20, get all the advice and instruction you can so you'll be wise the rest of your life. In other words, don't be so foolish not to seek help. You know, you have a ministerial staff here. We are more than willing to have you come in and for us to minister to you. There are other avenues in this community that uh, provide uh, that opportunity as well. Because I can tell you as a person who's done a lot of marriage counseling for many, many years, uh, often the thing that I'm thinking as I begin dealing with a couple, I'll be just being transparent, I'm thinking, oh man, if they were to only come in about a year ago or six months ago. And again, it's not I'm sitting there thinking it's, it's a hopeless cause. I've, I've, I've walked with God long enough to know there is no hopeless cause. I've seen the greatest of miracles in marriages being turned around, reconciled. I never give up hope. Uh, I don't. Uh, So, but, you know, seek help when you need it. Don't let it fester and uh, get worse and worse. The letter E, the last letter, embrace the attitude of Christ. Embrace the attitude of Christ. This is what? God wants to do in each of our lives and marriage, husband and wife. May God, who gives this patience and encouragement. Notice, it's God who gives the patience. It's God who gives the encouragement. He's the only source. Help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ. And I'll end with this. It takes three to make a winning marriage. Right? Marriage is like a three-legged stool. There's you, there's your mate, and there's what? God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it takes three legs for there to be stability. If you have just two, there is no stability. If all you have in marriage is each other, it isn't enough. It's only Jesus Christ that can give you the power to live out the truths we've been looking at today in the last few weeks. Only as you surrender your life to Jesus Christ will you know the power to produce in you, regardless of how your mate responds, the attitude of Christ. As revealed in Philippians 2, 3 through 5, seems like we just keep coming back to this passage. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Regard your marriage partner more important than yourself. Stop looking out for your own interests. Look to the interest of your marriage partner. See your marriage as an opportunity to develop the attitude in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And you know what that passage goes on to say? He humbled himself to the point of what? Death on a cross. And even as they were nailing him on the cross, Father, forgive them. 
He demonstrated a love that never failed. And that's what he wants to teach us. Bow with me in prayer. Father, um, we readily admit, Father, that it's so much easier to speak about your truth than to live it out. And so, Lord, we acknowledge we need your grace. Lord, you know the marriages that exist in this church family. You know the state of each marriage. And you have the answer for each and every marriage. You have the provision. You have the ability to heal where there needs to be healing. You have the ability to give grace to forgive where forgiveness needs to be granted. You have the ability to rescue a marriage, to reconcile a marriage that appears right now beyond hope from a human perspective. But thank you, with you, all things are possible. So we choose this day to put our trust in you. And so, Lord, uh, uh, thank you for the beautiful institution of marriage, uh, that you uh, created that to bring uh, a man and woman together and uh, to know an intimacy, body, soul, and spirit that will be rooted in your love for us, and our love for you, uh, that through the two, you could produce fruit that you could not have produced with them living solitary lives. And so, Father, uh, uh, in relationship to our marriages, open our eyes. Open our eyes to see Jesus, to see what your purpose in marriage is, your, your plan. And not only to see that purpose and plan, but to see the provision you've already made for us through the presence of the Holy Spirit, through truth, instruction, through counselors, so many other little things, Father, that we can take advantage of, books, uh, whatever it might be. And Lord, give us grace to learn how to appropriate all those resources uh, to be all that you desire us to be. But most important, help us to see the power you've made available to us through the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. And teach us to know that power, not to lean on the arm of the flesh. Uh, therefore, kick every crutch out from underneath of us that we would lean on that would prevent us from trusting you. And, uh, and teach us to know uh, the adequacy that only you can bring. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.